Amen. Amen. If you have your Bible with you today, uh, or got your Bible apps on your phone, go ahead and get them out, fire them up, and let's go to the book of John, John the fourth chapter. And uh, if you're new with us, maybe say, I don't have a Bible, I don't even know what a Bible is. Um, you're okay. Don't run away. You're okay in this place. These, some of these things were, um, some of us grew up knowing some of this. Many of us did not. And you're in your own journey. And so I'm just glad you're here. And I pray that God would get a hold of you and, do, and, and, and make your life amazing. And, uh, and I think this is a, a part of that process. But if you are able to follow along and look at these with me, then John chapter 4 is where, where we will start. Uh, I began a series a few weeks back. In fact, this will be the fifth part of the series called We Bow Down. We Bow Down. Uh, there's a, uh, an understanding there that uh, many of us have that bowing is one way to describe worship. But also you can see that the act of bowing is one of submission and humility. It's not one of pride and arrogance and, and doing things your own way. It's a, it's a matter of doing things God's way. And so uh, let's read our, our opening scripture once again. John four twenty three. Jesus speaking here, uh, uh, says, But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. So He's looking for a certain kind of person, right? Uh, verse 24, God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in, in spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. And so I, I think many of us recognize that worship is much more than a song. Worship is, is, is much more than lifting our hands. In fact, it's very possible for us to sing a song and lift our hands in an empty way. It's a void of substance, void of true humility, void of honor towards God. You can go through the outward motions, but it not carry any weight. And that's what we want to avoid. We don't believe in fake and phony and, you know, I'm not interested in church just for the sake of going to church as if, as if somehow doing that, you know, gets you points in heaven. It's all about results. It's all about the heart. It's about doing things for the right reason. And, and I want my worship to be real. I don't want it to just be playing games and going through the motions. I want to have a real relationship with God. I think many of you can relate to that. Um, but again, worship is about humility. And we're not truly worshiping God if we are just doing whatever we want to do. This is about setting aside what we want to do and saying, Lord, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to live my life? How do you want me to, to, to approach you? And in that, he is glorified. I want you to notice the language here. Jesus said uh, that true worshipers, worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. Do you notice and truth is not the same as and your truth? And his truth and her truth and my truth? No. No. It just says, and truth. I know that's a popular notion that has 
come back and made its circle and it's popped up in society again where people are starting to define truth as a subjective issue, meaning, basically, what's true to you might not be true to someone else. Well, if you want to live apart from God, you're welcome to think that way. And, uh, you know, I won't interrupt you. (laughs) But if you want to have a relationship with God, it's about setting aside what you think and what you feel and saying, God, you are true. Let God be true and every man a liar, as as the Scripture says. That's not me exalting my my own opinion. See, really what that is... uh, It's basically saying, I'm going to subject any saying or thought to how I feel about it. And if I like it, I'm going to make it my truth. And if I don't like it, that's yours or someone else's. No. Truth is not subject to how I feel each day. Talk about a roller coaster life. But when you can bank it on, you know, dig in and be solid on something that's unchanging, now you have a basis to build a great life from. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Everybody okay today? Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. He didn't say, you know, sometimes people to now, nowadays, they'll say, I am the way, it's my way, my truth, my life. And I can do whatever I want with it. You certainly can. Have at it. Good luck with that. <laughs> but if you really want to do things and have a relationship with God and Him to be glorified, then you set aside your way. Your truth, your life, and you say, I'm submitting to you. Amen. Everybody okay today? I'm trying to, I'll try to be gentle. Um, This is summer, you know, so I just figure fair game for me to just open up both barrels uh, of of truth and let let it out. I I know it's risky, and and I know this, I'm aware, (laughs) but I, I try to have a, you know, a real good balance of grace and salt. And, uh, I, I'm, you know, I try. I'm just saying. <laughs> Last week I thought I had too much salt, but then all those people got saved. And so I said, I guess it was worth it. Um, but we do approach the Lord and, and, and His Word and thank God for His grace. But we need to hear some things, don't we? That will help us. That will help us and sometimes help us change. If you really uh, want to know what true Christianity is about, it's not about us defending ourselves in our own ways. It's about us submitting to God in His ways. That's when life gets really good. And that's when it's, it's, it's real. You know, humility is all about truth. We talk about humbling ourselves under God's mighty hand. It's about not being fake, putting on a facade. It's about being genuine. Um, uh, I know, t- you know, true worshipers sometimes are a little bit perplexed at those who confess a belief in, in God or confess a relationship with Jesus and yet live in contrary ways. You know what I'm talking about? A, a, a woman came to me not too long ago, a woman not from, uh, not from here, not from our church, and she was quite concerned because she was talking to me about, and she's a mature believer, uh, and she was talking to me about all these young women she was around and, and had been a part of their lives, and these young women had grown up in church. So we're not talking about someone who's in the, who's in the world. We're not talking about someone who's a brand new believer. We're talking about people who grew up in church. And, and what she was concerned about was the way that they act. She couldn't understand how they, how they live the way they live and are just okay with it. 
And what in particular, what she was sharing with me is she said some of these girls, they're, you know, young ladies, adults, uh, you know, they grow up in church and now they live with their boyfriend. But they're still in church. So they're doing everything the world's way, but they know better. And they come in church and lift their hands and sing their songs and everyone acts like everything's fine. And then they're doing their life exactly opposite of everything they know. Now we understand, again, the culture we live in, that's pretty normal these days. Our culture has shifted, right? Uh, but, but in the kingdom of God, things haven't shifted. And, and in her, in her uh, you know, talking about them, she, she said, and one of the things she was sharing with me, she said, and all, the fr- all their friends, when these people, and she named some individuals, we said, they, they live that way and then they get married and everyone just rejoices and celebrates as if it's normal, you know, after years of shacking up. Not because not they're getting married because they saw that they are as a believer doing things backward in God's way, just because that was the next step, and they all act like it's normal. She was quite concerned, and I said, "You know what? That is a real concern. I don't know what's going on in people's lives. I don't know what's going on in their minds. And help me know we're not talking about not loving someone here. We're talking about loving people. We're talking about but those who know. You remember Jesus said he talked about salt, right?" He said in, in, in Matthew 5.13, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing, but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. So he said, just like salt that's lost its flavor there is good for nothing, he said, you are the salt of the world. You are the salt. And so if we lose that distinguishing element... That causes people to taste and see that the Lord is good. Then we lose something really precious. And, and I don't think the early church turned the world upside down by looking like it. By acting like it. By being no different. What happened is they come in contact with an all-loving and holy God and make a reverse course. They do a 180. And all of a sudden they're going a different direction. See, listen... I said it already, but worship is not just about what we sing and about coming to church. This is, worship is about how we live our lives. We live our lives in honor to Him. Or we live our lives in honor to ourselves. It's whatever I feel like doing at the moment. But one is going to carry some weight with Him. The other one is not. Everybody okay? Can I keep going? Should we just dismiss? Uh, have a nice day. Uh, all right, if you're still here, um, appreciate that. And uh, amen. I know many other stories too. I can tell negative. I can tell them on the negative, and usually it's what people bring to me. But I've heard many other stories of people who were living either just worldly lives or compromised lives, and they came here. That's the reason I know their story. They came here and they said, "Oh, we're not doing this right," and it's not because anyone was condemning them. It's not, I mean, oftentimes they weren't even told. They just drew near to the Lord. And on the inside they knew, you know what, we're not doing this right. We should change. We should adjust. And sometimes that's uncomfortable to change. Sometimes it's difficult. It's painful, you know. Uh, but they say, we want to honor the Lord with our lives. I tell you, God can bless that. 
He can bless that heart. He can bless those actions when we're setting things aside the way we have done them and said, Lord, we want to do it your way. Teach us. Amen, amen. Turn to Romans with you, if you would. Right turn. Uh, Romans chapter 12. See, worship is possible when we see ourselves and God correctly. I need to, I need uh, both sincerity, sincerity, and I also need accuracy. So nothing fake, nothing phony, nothing put on, the real thing, but also I need to be right about something. An accurate perception of myself and an accurate view of God. You see those two principles, sincerity and accuracy are, are, are needed, then we set the stage, that's how we can come before him. Now look at Romans chapter 12 and verse 3. Paul writes, For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. So what's he talking about? He wants, he wants them to have a right perspective of themselves. He wants them to see themselves in a proper light. And this more highly thing speaks of pride. Speaks of I am something. I'm self-exalted. I am a proud person. He says, don't do that. You need to think in a certain way. There is a way you ought to think about yourself. Now how many know the way you ought to think is not warm of the dust, good for nothing, waste of flesh? That's not the way God thinks of you and me. I mean Jesus died. He shed his, he shed his blood for you and for me. I think we, we hold pretty high value in God's eyes for him to do that. So the way we ought to think is not low, but there is a possibility for us to think too highly of ourselves. And that's what we want to watch out for. That's what ends the worship. It puts a lid on it right there when I start thinking I'm more than I am. I need a clear view, an accurate view. But I want you to think about humility. Uh, how many know humility is not declaring that we're nothing? That's kind of, it's been understood that way. When someone pays you a compliment, you say, oh no, that's not true. Someone says something nice to you. Oh, no, I'm nothing. And then you walk away saying, yeah, I, I am that. That's true, but I want to be humble. <laughs> it's not denying praise that you think you really deserve. <laughs> Humility is seeing it clearly, seeing yourself clearly, accurately. Amen. Um, it's not rejecting all compliments. Uh, it basically recognizes reality. It sees and it is based upon truth. If someone pays you a compliment, um, you know, it's right and proper to be polite and say, you know, thank you for your kindness, your kind words. What happens in the person who sees things clearly, though, is there is an inward knowing. And there is an inward acknowledgement and, and outward, too, but... It's not about trying to make someone else think something. It's just an inward acknowledgement that says, whatever I am, that's good. Whatever I have, whatever I can do, it is because God was gracious to me. 
And he gave me the ability to think. He gave me the ability to make money. He gave me the ability to live my life and have the blessings that I do have. The moment I start thinking and I start reverting to, I've earned this, I deserve it, you owe it to me, and you owe me your compliments and your thanks, is the day I start going down. Because I become proud, I become entitled, you have to give this to me. But when I say, you know what, without Him, I'm nothing. Outside of God's grace, I probably wouldn't even know how to get up in the morning. So I don't know if that's true. Well, it is, it is really is true. It's fully true. Everything that we can do is a gift from God. And when we see that, and if you're struggling with that thought, just hold on, let me go further. Don't, disrupt, don't interrupt the rest of my message because you're fighting with that right now. Uh, put it on hold for a minute. Cause, uh, but the more I'll acknowledge gifts from God, the more thankful I become. The more I think, I got this, I'm all that, I'm good, the more proud I become. Pride doesn't come up to the throne of God, it gets resisted. You know this, the foundation and basis of the new covenant, the new covenant being that which Jesus established when he, when he died and was raised from the dead, is based on grace as opposed to human effort or works. That's, basic, that's one of the big differences between the right side of your Bible and the left side of your Bible, is that we know that we come into a relationship with God not based on what we do, but based on what He did that we received as a gift. All right. I think we should understand that we are not saved because we deserve it. If you're a believer, if you're a Christian, you're not because you deserve it, because you earned it. You didn't deserve salvation. I don't earn heaven. I don't deserve heaven. When I show up, I'm going to be saying, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> thank you, Lord. And probably with much great and more passion. Be full understanding. This is a gift from God to me. I blew it and I got this anyway. That's. I mean, you understand that's the difference between... Uh, religion and a true relationship with God. Religion tells you it's all about what you do. It's all about what you've earned. Are you good enough? But the grace of God says you're never going to be good enough. You are never going to be sufficient to measure up to God's standard of perfection. But Jesus paid it all for you and you can have it as a gift if, you, if you'll accept it. Yeah? See, when we think that if we've given up time or money that we deserve something in return... We're getting off track internally. And we, and we have to watch out for this, many of us. Because many of us serve and we give our time and energy and our money and different things to the kingdom of God. And sometimes we do so expecting something back. Even if it's just, you know, someone to say something. But if they don't say it, bless God, we're taking back, if you will, or we're going to stop. We've got strings attached. It's, it's like the person who, uh, you know, if, if you say, let me, let me borrow your pen there. Uh, thank you. If, if, if uh, Pastor Bill here says, hey, can I borrow your pen? I say, oh, yeah, sure. And I don't let go of it. Why am I holding on to it? I'm waiting for him to say thank you. Thank you. <laughs> it's that approach where uh, I'm going to give it to you, but... 
I'm not going to give it to you unless you fulfill what I expect you to do before I fully give it to you. And unless you say thanks, I'm not really giving it to you. Let's knock off that nonsense. How about we just give and serve kind of like the way God does with us? It's just a free gift. You can have it, period, before you say thank you. Amen. And if you don't say thank you, he doesn't take it back. Everybody okay? Matthew chapter 8, if you would. Matthew chapter 8. So many good stories. And, and like I've told you before, I like to read stories that show me a good outcome so I can back up and see how they acted and often see their faith, see their motivation, see their heart so I can duplicate it, so I can copy the positive elements. There are many biblical stories that show negative elements. The Old Testament is full of tons of stories of people who did stupid things. And the New Covenant tells us, by the way, you ought to read those. <laughs> Because they're written for our admonition. They're written so we learn how not to do things. Uh, this case is a positive one, so this will be helpful. In Matthew chapter 8 and verse 5, it says, uh, Now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him pleading with him. Notice a centurion. Okay, that's a rank in their military. Um, so it's... You know, he's got power, he's got some authority. He's coming to Jesus. Of course, Jesus being a Jew was under the Roman rule at that time. The centurion could say to Jesus, you know, do this, do this. And by civil law, he had to do that. You, know, like, you remember when Jesus said, if, uh, if someone asks you to carry their, uh, what did he say? Their something, their cloak, cloak, yeah, uh, for a mile, do it too. That's because their laws were any of those Roman soldiers could grab a Jew at any time and said, basically, carry my luggage, for, and they had to do it because of the, the civil um, uh, legalities of that at the time. So this guy has some rank. He could boss some people around. I want you to see that. He came to Jesus, though, pleading to him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I'll come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed, for I'm also a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. So the whole story finishes, and of course the person was healed. But we often will read this and zero in on, authority and speaking the word and faith and all those are valid uh, teachings from this account but I want to draw your attention to his attitude his heart when he said Lord I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof man what's happening there there is a humility from someone who has some authority he's saying I'm not worthy that you come here amen now Lest some of us dismiss this, some of you are highly educated and biblically, you know, affluent. Uh, we say, well, in Christ we are worthy. Totally true. 
I've received Jesus and now I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I stand before him holy, clean, and pure without blame or shame. And if you're a believer, you can stand before God that way. The important thing for us to remember, though, is that is in Christ. That is in Christ. This is not really an in Christ themed message here today. It's for us to recognize who we are outside of Christ. I mean, I can stand before the Lord in Him, and yes, He has washed me clean. But outside of Him, I think it's important to always remember that without Him, nothing. Without Him, unworthy. Without Him. And so all of my praise and worship, I come before God, it's always thanks for what He has made me, what He has given me, what He has done for me, as opposed to demanding as opposed to you owe me, or this is my right. Stop that. I don't deserve anything. Yeah. Amen. You know, I know it's common for people to always, they do mean it as a compliment, but something good will happen. They say, oh, well, you deserve that. Oh, you deserve that. I'm a little uncomfortable with it, tell you the truth, when people say it to me. I know they're just being nice and being complimentary, and so I'll probably say, well, thank you, but inside I'm going, I don't deserve anything. And it's not like I'm self-despising. Like It's just, Lord, I'm living under your grace. I want to stay here. And whatever I have, whatever I can do, it's a gift from you. That allows me to stay humble and acknowledge truth. Everybody okay? Yeah. This person had an attitude of a servant. I think we should keep that. I, I, I think even though in the New Covenant, we're children of God, we're in the family, you know, we're in the will, we have a key to the front door, we should still have the attitude and the heart to serve. And when we come before Him, thank you, Lord, that I can come here. What a privilege and an honor it is that you have washed me and cleansed me and given me status in your family. And it'll bring a tear to your eye when you see it truthfully. One of the ways I like to ask myself and others if, I'm, if we're doing it properly, if we're, I say it, life. If I'm doing life, my relationship with God, if I'm doing life properly, is who gets the glory? Who gets the credit? Who is honored when something good happens? Who gets the glory for what we do? And... Following the, the example of Jesus, it's very interesting because Jesus was one impressive preacher. I'm not only talking about the healings and the miracles. The guy could teach and he could preach with great authority. And he baffled everyone around him. When he started his ministry, people looked at Jesus and said, who in the world is this? Because they had other preachers around. And they paled in comparison to him. And one of the things uh, that happened one day, it's uh, in, in John seven fifteen. it reads, And the Jews marveled, saying, How does this man know letters, having never studied? How does he know letters? You know what Jesus said? He said, I studied when you guys weren't looking. <laughs> you guys were out goofing around, you know, Playing with your on your phones and and <laughs> and I was in learning letters. I was studying. I was putting in the time. I want you to know that Jesus didn't say that. Even though I suspect that's true. You you realize 
from the time of Jesus, you know, when he was young, a young born a young child, we have a big gap in here. And then he's 12, and then we have a big gap, and he's 30. Okay, a lot happened during that time. I don't think Jesus was just a lazy person. I don't. I think he probably spent much time in the Word, which was the Old Covenant at the time. He spent much time there and in prayer. It doesn't say that, but there's no doubt that he did. Okay? But when they were asked, how does this guy know letters? Where did you, how, where did you get this stuff? How are you so stinking smart? You know what Jesus said? He didn't say, I was... I put in the time. I was diligent. What he said in verse 16, he said, My doctrine is not mine, but his who sent me. Isn't that interesting? That he gave all the credit for everything he was doing to the Father. And you'll find that that was a pattern through his ministry. I mean, if anyone could have taken all the glory and all the credit, but he continually pointed back. He pointed back. Was Jesus ever tempted? We have an account of when he was tempted. Jesus was tempted, but he didn't answer and said, you know, I stayed strong and I just pulled myself up. And No. He kept saying, I don't have anything except for what the Father gives me. I don't know anything except for what he tells me. Amen. My doctrine is not mine, but him who sent me. Jesus always gave the Father the glory. And I'm asking, what are we doing? What are we doing? Can you take a compliment? Sure but redirect. Not in a fake and phony kind of way. And if, if you, even if you don't do it outwardly, do it inwardly. Just say on the inside, thank you, Lord. Man, you've really built a great business. You've really, man, you, you just really have done a great job. Well, thank you very much. Thank you, Lord, that you've enabled me. Thank you that I have the skills. Thank you that you've given me opportunities. Thank you know what I'm talking about? Man, you really have a beautiful family. Oh, man, you've just have, you're just such a great family person. Thank you, Lord. You gave me the grace to know how to train up my kids. <laughs> Thank you, Lord, that I even, that I've, you know, for your forgiveness for every time I've done it wrong. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? And there's always an inward acknowledgement that keeps a humble heart, a thankful heart. And when we worship God... It's the real thing. It's the kind that Jesus said the Father is seeking this kind of person. Hallelujah. There was a, there was a, a guy, a, a king, a Herod, a king named Herod, during their time that the scriptures mention in passing in over in Acts chapter 12. And it talks about Herod as he was, you know, doing his throne thing. All arrayed in his in his uh, royal apparel, and he's sitting there. He gives a speech, and Herod gives this speech. And when he's done giving the speech, the people start yelling out at him, "He is a god, not a man. He is a god." You know, they had some of that issue, those things back in those days where they would the emperors would set themselves up as gods, and and people were shouting at him. Now I don't know, maybe you've not had this trouble. Uh, I, I don't have first-hand experience with this. Uh, uh, but they were proclaiming, you're a God, not a man. And you know what he should have done? Should have got off his high horse, I mean throne, 
should have tucked off his royal garments, laid him on the ground, put his face in the ground and said, you guys better stop because this is wrong. He is God and he alone is God and I am nothing without him. He should have redirected all the glory to God. But because he was in such a high position, had been given such great authority, when he didn't do that, and he basically accepted the glory as, as if he was God, the scripture says an angel go, went ahead and struck him down. So what did, what did that look like? Well, worms ate him. That was... Pr- Practically, probably, some disease got a hold of him from the inside out, and over a period of time, he died as a result of taking all the glory to himself. Let's give him the glory. What do you say? Let's. <laughs> yes, let's do it for sure. Uh, I don't want to be like the Pharisee that. Uh, that that, G, that G, Jesus talked about when well he, when, when he talked about um, this Pharisee and this tax collector who went to the temple to pray and he said and the Pharisee prayed thus with himself and basically proclaimed his own goodness. I don't ever want my worship to be said that it was just about me. I was who were you worshiping? Well, I was it was just I was just worshiping thus with myself. If God's not in the picture, let's end it. If he's not involved, and it's all about self-exaltation, not only are we not good friends, we're not viewed in the eyes of God as true worshipers. And I want to keep that place right. I want to keep my heart right in that regard. Amen? Amen. Let's pray today. Father, thank you for your goodness.